The scripture reading this morning is Exodus chapter 33, verses 12 to 23, and it can be found on page 140 in the blue Bibles that are in your seats. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds that we may hear and understand your word, that you would increase our faith and our obedience as we grow in discipleship. Pray that you would be with Pastor Chris and us by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. watching. Waiting. Hungry. Desperate. Alone. Afraid. We long to hear God's voice, 
to be assured that God is really with us. Right here. Right now. In the midst of our doubts, our fears, our suffering, we long to hear God whisper to us, do not be afraid. I am with you. Doubts, fears, sufferings. It's those things that, that get in the way of our relationship with God, isn't it? It's those experiences in those moments where we want to cry out, God, where are you? Or even, as Jesus did on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, we come here on Sunday mornings and most of us dress up a little bit, some of us more than others. We come here and, and, and we for sure, even if we don't change our, our clothes different from clothes we wear during the week, we, we do make sure that when we walk in this building, there's a smile on our face. And we shake hands and we say, how are you? I'm doing fine. You? Great. And yet if we were honest, if we came in here honestly as, as how we felt and what we are carrying with us, some of us would walk in and we'd barely make it through that door before we start weeping. And we'd say, my heart is heavy and I am filled with doubt. I, I've believed my whole life long, but I just got told I have terminal cancer and now I'm wondering if God is really there. Does God know me? Can God heal me? Will God deliver me? How painful will this journey be? And maybe it's not the doubts and the, the doubt if God is there and if God is really true, but, but maybe it's the fear. And doubt and fear are, are really not that far apart. Maybe it is the fear. What if... What if I've done something so wrong that even God can't forgive me? What if my sin is so deep that even Christ's blood doesn't reach it? What if somebody else finds out how sinful I've been? What if I come to the end of life and I feel like I've wasted it all? What if all my longing for God turns to naught? What if? Maybe it's the suffering. I mean, that's quite often the place where I hear these questions and this longing for God emerge. It's in those moments where suddenly life doesn't make sense. Where someone close to us, someone we've loved, dies quickly. And our hearts are ripped open and, and the world and all the things that we thought were important come crashing down and, and suddenly we're standing there with an emptiness we never imagined possible. Suffering. Fears. Doubts. 
they bind us, they hold on to us, they, they drag us down. We, we so often feel like crying out like that man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, heal my child. And, and Jesus said, do you believe? He said, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. We live in that space where, yes, we believe in God, and day in and day out, we struggle to really believe. And we have a habit of beating ourselves up for it. I didn't do my devotions today. I, I, I didn't go to church the last three weeks. It, it, you know, this time of year, it, it actually, as a pastor, gets kind of comical how many people apologize for not being here over the summer. It's just part of our, our habit. We feel like we've almost done something wrong, and so we, we have to apologize and make things good. I'd love to hear about your summer. Don't get me wrong on that. But we have this sense if, if, we, don't, if we don't do our devotions, if we, don't, if we don't somehow raise our kids right, if we don't somehow come before God and worship each and every week, and if we're not here at 10-2 to make sure we get that one seat where we experience God the most, or at least feels more comfortable to us, we've somehow messed up. We've somehow fallen out of, of relationship with God. We've somehow not pleased him, and oh, such heaviness we carry. And I think the heavier part of our load is we don't give each other the grace to say, I'm struggling to believe today. I'm struggling to believe the Bible's true. I'm struggling to believe God loves me. I'm struggling to believe my sins are really forgiven. I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the news I just received, and I don't know if I can even turn to God and pray right now. Have you ever been in those spaces? where it's hard even to pray? Where what you need when you walk through these doors in the morning is, is not a happy, clappy song to start with or even a robust hymn. What you need is a lament and someone to cry with you and someone to pray over you. We encounter a story today and we're going to encounter stories the next three weeks in this series that I'm calling I Am With You. It's actually a, a phrase that's in Scripture all over the place from the beginning to the end, this reassuring promise of God, I am with you. And through this series, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to encounter our longing for God's presence. It's not so much about our head for the next three weeks and learning doctrine or truths, although that'll happen. It's much more about our heart and experiencing God's presence with us. So in encountering this longing we have for God to be present with us, and, and right along with that, we're going to make room for us to hear again and again God's repeated promise in Scripture to be with us. I'll highlight a few of those places later on today. It, it really connects for those of us who have been around here for a while, to our vision statement as a church. We have this statement. We say our, we're going to be transformed by the gospel. Our city and world renewed. And what we're focusing on here is not so much the second half because quite frankly, we really cannot participate in that second half 
if we're not experiencing the first. If we ourselves are not being transformed by the gospel, we will fall short in participating in the renewal of our city and our world. And so, over the next couple weeks, we're just going to focus on that first part. What's it like in the midst of our longings for God's presence, in the midst of, of longing for God to show up in those spaces where we have doubts and fears and suffering, to know that God is with us, to be transformed by that good news? Restless hearts. We begin here because that really is the story of Israel, and if we're honest, that's our story too. Augustine said it well. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Pascal, Blase Pascal, a great scientist at one point, says that it's like a, a vacuum inside of us. We have this hole in us that we try to fill with all sorts of other things, but it, in the end, it is only God who can fill it because we have been created for relationship with him. This is definitely true for God's people. If, if we were to read the whole context around the passage that Jillian read and, and we go back a little bit and go forward a little bit, we'd end up encountering how God's people are restless. Just think about their journey leading into this. This is the Exodus story. So the story of God taking his people out of Egypt and leading them toward Canaan. And they, most of Exodus takes place in a, a wilderness space outside of Egypt as they're looking forward to Canaan. And already set free, but not yet fully realizing the promises of God. It's kind of like our day-to-day -day living, isn't it? Already set free, yet looking for that day when God will make all things new. And in this space, we, we see things about Israel and God's people. He reminds them again and again, you were witnesses of what I did in Egypt. Those powerful works, those miracles to set you free. All those plagues that were sent upon Egypt where I confronted Pharaoh. And I said to him, let my people go. And he did. If you read the story carefully, on that night as they're fleeing out of Egypt and they're leaving Egypt and there's all sorts of death in the land of Egypt, it says the Egyptians came out and they gave them all sorts of gold and silver and anything else they needed for their journey. And in this way, the Israelites plundered Egypt. They plundered the land that had held them captive. They saw God provide for them in miraculous ways, things they could never have achieved on their own. They watched it. And you know what happens two days later? They're standing at the Red Sea. And they start grumbling. Water in front of us, the army behind us. God, why'd you bring us to the desert? Moses, you did this. We want to go back to Egypt. I want to say, are you serious, people? You got gold and silver from Egyptians who were more powerful from you. You saw all these plagues happen. You have been experiencing God's freedom for a whole two days. And now you doubt. And you fear. And you wonder where God is and why he's abandoning you. 
And then they witnessed the parting of the Red Sea and, and this miracle of the Red Sea opening up and them walking through on dry land and all of Pharaoh's army being swallowed up and they get to the other side and they sing all these songs. There's all sorts of songs recorded in there of Miriam and Moses and them delighting in God's faithfulness and they have a party and then they grumble a few days later. We got no water. We got no food. Miracle, provision, grumbling. Miracle, provision, grumbling. They witness God speaking to Moses on the mountain. So much so, they hear God's voice and they say, Moses, you go up and talk to God. We're afraid of God, but, but we know he listens to you and you listen. You go for us, Moses. And Moses does. And while he's on that journey, they go, man, Moses has been gone a long time. What's he doing up there? Maybe he's not coming back. Maybe he ditched us. So we really need two calves to worship. And they make the golden calves. The passage that leads into this, into this text, the story right before this is of the golden calves. And so what we are encountering here is Moses. Moses walking with this people who know God's favor, who believe, who see, who witness, who experience God's goodness, and then turn around and go, oh, we don't believe. <laughs> He's gone. He's not with us. He's left us. We're in trouble. And so Moses gives this desperate and yet audacious unless. It's really about Moses interceding. And in this way, he's taking on a role that prefigures or, or anticipates Jesus Christ's role among us. To be the one who stands before God and intercedes on behalf of God's people. And so as we hear Moses engaging and interceding, part of our ear should also start hearing how this echoes throughout Scripture and points us to Christ, who, as Paul says in Romans, is even now sitting at the throne of God interceding on our behalf in the midst of our complaining and our struggling our believing and our not believing Christ intercedes for us and we catch a glimpse of how he does that here with Moses Moses gives this wonderful line he has lots of intercession going on but this wonderful line in, in verse 16 and that's where the unless comes from how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. The thing, Moses says, that will distinguish us from everywhere in the world, that will actually make your name great, God, is if you go with us. Deuteronomy 9 actually contains a longer edition of, of this interaction between Moses and God. And he's, he's recalling it for the people of Israel, and he says it this way, Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, remember the people you made promises to. Remember your covenant. Remember who you are and what you have promised to do. That's what Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob means. It's a shorthand for remember your promises, God. Remember who you are. Overlook the stubbornness of this people, their wickedness and their sin. Otherwise, the country from which you brought us will say, because the Lord was not able to take them into the land he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. Moses 
is interceding for the people. But in some way, he's actually interceding for God's character too and God's reputation in the world. It's a pretty audacious place for Moses to go. To go and stand before God and say, God, I'm worried about you. Not in the way Peter did, but actually in an appropriate way. God, if you do not deliver your people, if you do not show up and make yourself present with your people, if you do not dwell with them, God, the whole world's going to hear about it. And they will never come to believe and know who you are. It's actually repeated prayers throughout the Psalms. It's kind of interesting because the Psalms are, are the songbook of the people of Israel. They would, they would sing it at their festivals. They would sing it when they would gather together as God's people. They would pray these songs. They'd pray them in the synagogue, but in those spaces it was just the Israelites gathered. It was just the people who already believed gathered and they'd sing these songs. But I challenge you, I invite you sometime, read through them and notice how many times in those songs they call for the nations of the earth to praise God. Notice how many times in those psalms they call for all of creation to praise God. The posture in the psalms is also concerned with the same thing Moses is here. God, in the midst of all that has gone wrong with your people and all their failings, please don't let your reputation rest there. Let your reputation, God, rest on the fact that you are still with them, even in the midst of their doubts, their fears, their suffering, their sin. Because if you remain with them, God, if you remain with them, there's a chance the whole world will come to see you. The whole world will come to know your faithfulness. But if you abandon your people now because they can't live up to what you've called them to, there's no hope. In fact, I won't go another step. I can't go another step. What strikes me in this text is actually not so much Moses' audacity. It's God's gentle response. Did you notice that in the text? He says a couple of times to him, Moses, my presence will go with you. Moses, I, I hear you, and I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. Moses, because I know your name. I know you, Moses. I'm going to go with you. It's not enough, though, and Moses keeps pressing. God, I don't just want you to be with us in some abstract way. And you see Moses' insecurity coming out, his own doubts coming out here. Give me a sign, God. Give me a sign. Show me something. Let me, let me see your glory. Just put a pause here a moment. Moses stood on the mountain of God, talking with God for 40 days. Moses, the text says, twice went 40 days and 40 nights without eating any food and drinking water because he was in God's presence. Moses was experiencing God's presence in a way nobody else in history had. God was with him 
And, and several times it says they were face to face together. Moses, out of everybody in the world, had literally experienced that mountaintop experience where he felt and was enveloped in God's presence. And yet he says, let me see your glory. I need to see your glory. If I'm going to lead these people as you've called me to do, I need to see you. If I'm going to be faithful, I need to see you, God. Not just once somewhere in the past, but today, now, right here, right now, I need you. And that's, I dare say, where most of us live. We could give testimonies of what happened to us when we were 5 or 10 or 20, and some of us when we were 50 and 60, but we're now 70 and 80, and we've been wondering for 10 years why God is silent and longing for him to speak to us. We've been saying, God, you delivered me before, but I need you today. I need you here and now, and unless you show up, I don't have the strength on my own to go forward. That's the whole story. I can't do this on my own. I know you saved me in Jesus Christ, but I can't keep walking unless I see you, unless I know you are with me. Moses says, show me your glory. And the remarkable part is, God gives this response. I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. The goodness of God. Isn't that a sweet response? I'm not going to give you my power and my might. You wouldn't stand in front of it. I'm going to give you my gentleness. I'm going to show up in a way that you can handle that's actually good for you. I hear your cry and it's, I know what you mean. I know what you need. And I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you in a way that is good for you. I'm going to give you my goodness. And right along with that, he, God continues to talk and he adds into it, I am the one who chooses who I get to have mercy and compassion on. This is an incredibly profound statement. God's saying, I'm not going to be like the other gods that you have encountered in Egypt and that you will encounter in Canaan, the gods who, who on a whim will destroy people, the gods who on a whim will say, you offended me, no more. Get out of here and we'll wipe you out. I'm going to be a God who is known by my mercy and my compassion. This actually comes up even more profound in the next chapter when God shows up and passes in front of Moses and gives him the new, command, the new tablets. He passes in front of him and as God's goodness is in front of Moses, he says this, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is God's character. And he says to Moses, you need to know me, know my character. You want me to go with you, know that this is who I am. This is how I will act in front of you. I am the God who is compassionate, who is gracious, 
slow to anger, who abounds in love and faithfulness, who forgives. This is who God is. And he says to Moses, in the midst of Moses' insecurity and doubting and craving for God's presence, in the midst of our doubts, our fears, our suffering, God says to us with this gentleness, I am the God who is gracious and compassionate. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. Even your sin will not drive me away. Paul picks up on this when he's writing in the New Testament and and he writes this phrase to, to Titus, I believe it is, when we are faithless, God will remain faithful for he cannot deny himself. Do you hear the comfort that God is starting to speak to his people? In the midst of their struggling, in the midst of Israel's wandering and and vacillating back and forth between faith and doubt, between belief and unbelief, in the the midst of their day-to-day living just like we do, in the midst of Moses trying to be faithful and leading and struggling and wondering if God will stay with them, God gives this gentle response, I'm with you. I'm with you. This morning... This text really is an invitation for us to trust God, that he will be faithful to his character even when we're not. It's actually a consistent theme all the way through Scripture, God's repeated faithfulness. You know, he says to Joshua several times, uh, probably most famously in that passage that we sometimes hear, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God is with you. But he also says to Joshua, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Multiple times along the way, Joshua leading God's people into the promised land, seeing God deliver them from enemies who are stronger than them, and he has to hear constantly, do not be afraid, I am with you. I take comfort from that. Also David, who, who David writing in Psalm 23, and we'll, we'll engage this psalm together next week. David's writing and he says, even in the valley, the valley as we say, death shadow, the text says, even in the darkest valley, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Isaiah and Matthew in naming God, both of them used the name Emmanuel, the promised Messiah, the one who's coming. is not just the servant of God, it's God himself coming to dwell with us. Jesus, as he's gathering with his disciples after the resurrection, after the resurrection, he's about to ascend in heaven, and the disciples gather around. It says they bowed down and worshipped him, but some doubted. Some of them doubted. And Jesus gives them that reassuring word, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. He tells them before he goes too about the Holy Spirit who's being promised to come and explains that the Spirit will be with us. Paul picks it up in in Ephesians, which we read today, and in 1 Corinthians, you are temples of the Holy Spirit in which God's Spirit, God actually dwells with you now, Hebrews encourage us, us 
to draw near to God without fear, but with boldness. Because we've been allowed back into God's presence by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are ushered into that space where we can be with God even now, even while we anticipate a fullness we can't imagine. And scripture ends with this beautiful statement that we will actually dwell with God. You know, so often when we read Revelation 21, my attention goes to there will be no more death, no more crying, no more mourning, no more pain, for the old order of things has passed away. But if we listen to the cadence of Scripture, those are actually byproducts. Byproducts of the fact that we will dwell with God and God will dwell with us. This comes right before that passage of no more death, dying, and pain. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look! In other words, pay attention! Watch it! Look at this! God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the ultimate reversal of everything that's wrong. The source of all our doubts, our fears, our suffering goes way back to the garden. Way back to the garden. When when the people were, Adam and Eve, are kicked out of the garden because they did not follow God's ways. They disobeyed him and they're kicked out. They're removed from his presence. And the rest of the biblical story is a working out of how will God's people ever get back into God's presence. And it only happens through Jesus Christ, God taking on our suffering and death as his own as he takes on our sin as our own, to bring us reconciliation. And the great promise, the culmination of Scripture, is that God will dwell with us and we will dwell with him once again. We're returned to the presence of God. It's a great hope. It's a powerful storyline. But as we started with today, most of our life lives in that space of already not yet. Most of us don't cling day in and day out to that promise. We we don't have its assurance deep within us. There are parts of our lives where we are still longing for God's presence. The challenge for us today is will we trust God to be with us, even in the places of our lives where we feel that God is absent? Let me read that again. Will we trust God to be with us, even in the places of our lives where we feel that God is absent? This is the reality we live in. We have the assurance that Jesus died, that our sins are forgiven, that we have been reconciled with God, but we are living in this space where we have not yet fully experienced God's presence with us. We are longing for that day where we will see God face to face. And because we live between these two, we still experience the pain and the suffering and the doubts and the fears. It's part of living in this space of longing Saying, God, we need you. That's why scripture ends with that, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's that longing and that yearning that comes with belonging to God. 
Henry Nouwen, who's a, a famous theologian, said it this way. Is God present or is he absent? Maybe we can say now that in the center of our sadness for his absence, we can find the first signs of his presence. And that in the middle of our longings, we discover the footprints of the one who has created them. The Heidelberg Catechism frames it just slightly differently, but it is resonating with the same idea. The only way we begin to know the comfort that we belong to God is if we can start to name the places of our misery, the ways we have been broken and separated and experienced that absence from God. We need to say, God, we aren't with you as fully as we were created to be, and we long for you. And so as we begin this series of I am with you, we're going to begin in that space of already not yet by naming our longings. We've created a prayer wall. Some of you may have been wondering what's the art team up to. It was a few of us on the worship committee putting together a little board up front. There's one word written up there right now in the dark blue one. It's simply this, longing. Longing, if I may, Michelle. There were pens and little notepads, sticky notes, put on your pews this morning. We're going to invite you to write on one of these, or if you need five or six of them, go ahead. You may have to borrow from a neighbor. But to write on one of these, a simple place in your life where you are longing to experience God's presence. You might simply write health. You might write a longer story, and that's okay. And as you write it down, we're going to invite you to go up there and stick it on the, the panel that says longing. You can linger in around afterwards if you want. You can go get your cup of coffee, have your coffee, and come back in here and fill it out. You can even come in next week and quickly scribble it out and put it up there. We're going to leave this up through Thanksgiving week, and each week we'll add another question and another panel as we journey from our longing to the places we experience God's presence, to the assurance of that promise that God will be with us. So this question, where do you long to experience God's presence? If it's helpful, name your restlessness. Name the place in life where you're restless and you're trying to fill that void with something other than God. If it's helpful to you, name your unless. God, I can't go any further in this unless you show up. Or maybe it's simply an offering. God, I give you this fear, this doubt, this suffering, and I offer it to you in prayer. This will become for us a kind of living prayer wall over the next few weeks. And though the elders don't know it yet, you'll hear it now, I'll be inviting you to take a peek and pray not just for specific things on there, but pray for the themes that come up in our congregation. Pray for us as we come before God and say, God, this is where we need you. We need you. Let's pray. Lord, as you were writing and 
teaching through Paul in Philippians, you, you had him say that you are near. And because you are near, that we are to not be anxious about anything, but in everything to present our requests and petitions before you with thanksgiving. That thanksgiving part is hard. But we do come before you this morning with the things that are on our heart, our doubts, our fears, our worries, our, our pain, our suffering, the places we feel alone and we feel you are absent. And we lay them before you, remembering the storyline that, that you have consistently shown up and consistently said to your people, don't be afraid, I am with you. Help us to see you. Help us to hear you. Accept our longings as an offering, as a first step of trust in you. Hear us. Meet us. Deliver us. Go with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The music team's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song.